Hello and welcome. This is Pastor Ken Ortiz, and this is my latest podcast. Um, it's uh, dealing with a topic that probably is a little abstruse for most people. They aren't familiar with a lot of the things that go on in our country, especially on, on the legislative and legal level. level. Um, but I want to talk about two topics that I think are particularly important for us as Christians today. One is called Title IX, and the other one is the Respect for Marriage Act. Um, One of the things that I love about uh, digital technology is it's so immediate, and these are topics or issues that have just come up very recently, and uh, uh, basically some efforts by the Biden uh, administration slash regime um, that in many ways speak to what I think are the characteristics of what the Bible calls the end times. Remember that Jesus said that the end times would be like the days of Noah. And if we want to refresh ourselves into what the days of Noah were like, we can just look at Genesis 6, uh, verse 5, where it says that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts and of his heart was only evil all the time. In other words, he's talking about a period in which people don't just do wickedness, but they approve of it, they delight in it, uh, they promote it, and that it's something that stands in opposition to what is the will or the plan of God. In fact, uh, in 1 John, the Apostle John in verse chapter 3, verse 4, referred to it as lawlessness. He said, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, the word that's translated lawlessness here is a a Greek word, anomia, and it means to be without the law, referring to without God's law. In other words, you don't have any reference, whether out of ignorance or willfulness, you don't have any reference to uh, God's law, if we might say like the Ten Commandments or the... Uh, all the instructions that we're given in Scripture. It means, though, more particularly that it's a contempt and a violation of that law, and it's often translated as being iniquity or wickedness. And the reason that's important is because uh, Paul told us in chapter 2 chapter two of Second uh, Thessalonians that that would be kind of characteristic of the end times. He said, let no one in any way deceive you, for that end times will not come unless the apostasy, the departure from faith, comes first. So you have the church departing from the faith. And the man of lawlessness, the man who his whole purpose in existence is to move the world away from God's righteousness into unrighteousness, is already at work. And he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. So I say all of this because... As we look at what's going on in our world today, and I think also if you want to read further in in, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where he outlines many of the uh, personality characteristics, I call it the narcissistic sociopathy that characterizes men in the last days, we realize that part of it is this whole separation from the righteousness of God and the establishment of a way of life that's contrary to that. Um, In fact, I was was reminded of this when I was reading today in my daily reading in Psalm. 94. In the 19th verse, one of the things the psalmist said is, he says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, uh, your consolations, your comforts, your assurances delight my soul. And then he adds, can a throne of destruction be allied with you? In other words, if there's a rulership that's contrary to God's way, which he would call destructive, he says, is there any way that that can be really aligned with the will of God? He says, one which devises mischief by decree. And that's an interesting thing, mischief by decree. What an interesting phrase, that basically you have a government, uh, a regime that 
makes decrees that are by God's definition are mischievous and contrary to the ways of God. He goes on and says, they band themselves together against the life of the righteous. They want to end the righteous life and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought me back and that he has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. Our Lord, our God will destroy them. Now, there's a lot packed into that statement, but let me try to touch on it very quickly. That basically says when there is a a regime, a, a kingdom, a rulership, a government that really moves towards what the Bible calls mischievous behavior, ungodly behavior, and they band themselves against those who seek righteousness, they condemn the innocent to death, which is one way of describing abortion. He says that not only is God the stronghold and the refuge for people who are faith, but he says he will bring back their wickedness upon them and he will destroy them in their evil. So one of the things that is happening when you see a government or regime promoting wicked ways is they're inviting God's judgment upon them, that they're really in, in basically greasing the skids for God's wrath to be poured upon them for the things that they're doing. Well, why do I say all of this? Well, under the current administration, which I refer more to as a regime than an administration, um, there has been a sizable shift from the executive branch just being simply a branch of the government that executes the laws that are uh, drafted by the Congress. But this administration functions more like a regime, and a regime literally means a, a government that's authoritarian, and basically it's an it's uh, basically takes authority over anybody who is an ideological opponent. And they basically impose their will upon the people instead of uh, seeking to know what the will of the people are. So the current leadership that we have in, in Washington, D.C. is really clearly running like a regime. Uh, they're doing all sorts of things that are unconstitutional, unlegal, extra legal. Um, even with this raid upon Trump's compound, we find basically it's a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment of our Constitution, but it doesn't seem to, to bother them. It reminds me once of, I was talking to a man who was complaining to me about the uh, behavior of the leadership of the church he's a part, and he says they're violating their own bylaws, and he was very upset about it, and I said, here's the only problem. Uh, unless there is some way of enforcing uh, them to obey their bylaws, they just can simply violate them all they want. And that certainly became the case until the Lord was saw fit to replace that leadership and put in charge people who were concerned about it. But let me get back to the mischievous decrees. What are they? Well, the first one, as I said, I talked about the Respect for Marriage Act, which is anything but respect of marriage. This was a bill that was rushed through the U.S. House of Representatives, and I think like 41 Republicans voted for it. Uh, and it's now coming before the, sen the Senate and will be voted in a week or so. Um, and uh, it will probably pass the Senate as well. But the name is really deceptive because it does anything but... Uh, uh, respect marriage. What it does is enshrine same-sex marriage into federal law and jeopardizes really the religious freedom of people like you and me who want to follow a biblical definition of marriage that is being between one man and one woman. So what the proposed bill would do, especially as how it affects the church and the ministry, is that number one, it would require that the federal government uh, recognize any state definition of marriage. 
such as polygamous marriages without any limitations. Now, think about this for a moment. Um, uh, Utah was only allowed into the the uh, United States as part of the uh, one of our, our officially recognized states after they agreed to outlaw polygamy. But now, if this passes, and it probably will, that if they want to have a polygamous marriages again, they can certainly do it because now it will be something that they have to ratify. In fact, any definite marriage between a man and his horse would be, have to be recognized if they simply open it up like that. And so it's really made me an egregious thing, but it's a never step, step in really kind of trying to erase the acceptable definition of what marriage has been to replace it with something else. Ba secondly, what it does is it empowers activist groups to sue religious individuals and organizations nations that believe marriage is only between one man and one woman. So for myself as a pastor or a church, and we say we refuse to marry people who are seeking some other kind of a arrangement for marriage, we could be held legally liable because we're in violation of federal law. And thirdly, it, it could jeopardize the tax-exempt status of nonprofit organizations as well, because now we become guilty of, of uh, transgressing the law. So all of these things are really ominous in terms of their import, but it's also more important of how they begin to change the culture's definition and acceptance of what is a, a marriage relationship, what is a family. And as the family goes, so goes the society. So if we redefine marriage to be something that's other than what the Bible says, it really technically and actually stops being a marriage or a family and becomes something else, some kind of arrangement. And that always is a downward slide because cultures or nations begin to collapse when the family begins to collapse. So this is all you know, very ominous. I don't have a lot of time to go into it. You probably heard me speak on that in detail. But I think it's really important. Important. The second one is along the same lines, but it's something called Title IX, and, and many people aren't familiar with it unless you're involved with academia and particularly sports in academia. Title IX was originally designed to provide girls and women with equal access to sports and other opportunities. And what it did is it regulated every public school from kindergarten to high school and into college and university. It regulated every single one in the nation and it prohibited discrimination on the basis of sex. And so this has had some pretty impl important implications. We find that a lot of uh, schools had to begin to uh, share the proceeds from their male sports programs, especially football, with these other uh, entities or other sports activities, male and female, so that there would be equality, equal opportunity. And I think that there's some good stuff to that. In my mind, though, it's a consequence of something far more insidious. We saw that there was a shift in the 50s in particular from schools being about education to suddenly being very concerned about athletics. Uh, it, it used to be that athletics were an extracurricular event. But now it's a key means of increasing income for universities and schools, as well as giving them a lot of uh, public identification and recognition. So, uh, you know, it's become more of an income and PR issue for schools and less about educating. And we've seen the case of many uh, athletes who have passed through the academic institutions without actually getting an education because their chief job was to perform in sports. And even now, they're a place where they're beginning to admit it, where they've 
began to have to share some of the financial proceeds with the athletes. All this is kind of crazy, but what we find is the problem is that people are more interested in men's athletics because the level of performance and competition is significantly higher than with the ladies. I mean, men's sports provided significantly more income because more people were willing to pay to see them. What Title IX did is required those schools to provide an equal opportunity and funding for women's athletics. But again, I think this was the beginning of a shift in the mission from education to athletics and using academia as a tool of social re-engineering so that the minute that we began to pass laws that schools had to do things to create equality, we're really trying to legislate uh, that kind of social and moral change. That's not always bad. I mean, the fact that murder is outlawed in all cases except in a few approved places like abortion, I mean, that's, that's kind of a good thing. People say you can't legislate morality. The truth of it is you absolutely can because what you legislate becomes a statement about what is moral and good and right and true, so that it's really, uh, you know, not necessarily all bad. But the point is, the goal is to make basically the difference between men and women indistinguishable. And the real, real, I think, mischievous part of what the Biden administration or regime is doing is they want to promote really radical transgender ideology. So what they are doing is they're redefining sex. Basically, uh, Sharon Slater from the Family Watch International uh, newsletter uh, summed it up this way. He said, the proposed change will erase the definition of biological sex and replace it with gender identity, resulting in devastating effects on parental rights, children's well-being, First Amendment rights, and girls' privacy, safety, and sports opportunity. See, essentially what this will do is redefine what marriage and family are all about, and it'll have far-reaching, reverberating, and catastrophic consequences for America, especially upon our children and in particular young ladies. Uh, it's going to impact really tens of millions of children and parents uh, in the United States. But more specifically, if this law or this new mandate is enacted, number one, it will create a whole new category of sex discrimination based upon sexual orientation and gender identity. In other words, if somebody says, I'm a man or I'm a woman and they're of the opposite sex, uh, and you uh, refuse to allow them to play in your sports like many uh, states are doing now, then suddenly that becomes sexual discrimination and you come under federal law and federal suit. That it, what it does is it promotes the idea of transgender ideology secondarily so that it becomes the mandate, mandated policy of our schools. And that's the idea of encouraging students to believe that they can be born in the wrong body. That, I mean, in other words, there's something wrong with the body you're in. So, so many young people go through some of this kind of uh, bodily dysmorphia because they basically are unhappy or uncomfortable, and they think the answer is that they can change themselves in some way. And now they're being told that if they take puberty blockers and have uh, surgical uh, uh, castration and, and mastectomies, that suddenly somehow they can feel better about themselves. There was a recent study promoted by the University of Washington, put in the JAMA uh, Journal of American Medicine, which basically claimed that it helped dis 
people with dysphoria or dysmorphia um, and uh, uh, gender identity issues to be mentally healthier. And yet when somebody began to dig down into the study, they found that the conclusions were totally misrepresented. The study showed that the rate of uh, suicidal ideation was significantly higher amongst kids who moved into taking uh, uh, hormone blockers and having the surgery and so forth. So it's, it's really amazing. In fact, the University of Washington withdrew the study and have hidden it because when somebody began to point out that it was basically false propaganda, they wanted to distance themselves from it. Well, but they didn't have the courage to come out and say the results actually showed the opposite. But the third thing, what it does, it, it, it makes using a child's given name and, uh, which is, and, and using biologically accurate pronouns instead of preferred names and preferred pronouns, that that becomes an act of harassment. And uh, fourthly, what it does is it normal, normalizes this intervention of hormone blockers that lead to sterilization of children. That next, what it does is it undermines the rights of parents and uh, that basically the schools can change your child's uh, identity based upon some preference they have without involving the parental decision whatsoever. You no longer have parental authority. The schools do. That it next to what it does, it threatens our religious freedom because it will require teachers and staff to embrace transgender identity or else stop working in public education. It threatens our religious freedom by, re, by or excuse me, it violates our, our the student teachers' First Amendment rights so that they can't speak freely, they can't treat others in a manner that is biologically accurate. And basically, it gives sweeping new authority to those who coordinate Title IX issues to enforce the proposed mandates on people who don't want it. Uh, John Stone Street in the Colson Center simply put it this way. He says, these new rules are 700 pages long and are being trumpeted by organizations such as the National Education Association as a victory for the victims of sexual harassment and clarification of discrimination based on sex. Now notice how, what they've done here. They call calling somebody by their biological uh, gender uh, pronoun that that's sexual harassment and it's discrimination. So suddenly harassment and discrimination are things by just stating what is obviously true and not going along with the fictions that they're trying to create. Another writer, Vernetta, um, Vernadette uh, Broyles, who's the general counsel and president of the nonprofit law firm Child and Parental Rights Campaign, says there are basically three major implications. He says the first concern that we should have is it removes the rights of parents, that minors who decide to transition at school will be supported by the schools and led into the process of social transition, including using preferred pronouns without requiring the consent of parents. It goes on to say that it will weaponize government agencies like Child Protective Services and channel these children to gender-affirming counselors and clinics and eliminating the influence of parents in the process. And that's already happening in certain places. It's happening in, in uh, the United Kingdom. It's happened in California, where literally the parents have been removed as the primary <coughs> deciders of their children's fate. In some places, the children being taken out of the home. And the parents have no authority to do anything about it. That a second and primary concern, she notes, is that the damage it does to the children's bodies and emotions 
by encouraging, encouraging and furthering what is nothing more than social experimentation. She goes on to say, in July, the FDA announced that puberty blockers, which activists claim are harmless but actually are not, can cause brain swelling and vision loss. Their long-term cognitive effects are still being studied, but they are believed to be significant. We also know that cross-sex hormones cause permanent sterilization. And of course, that doesn't even get into what happens when things go right with the devastating permanent injuries caused by so-called gender affirmation and sex reassignment surgeries. So it's interesting. They don't like the term sex reassignment. They want it to be gender affirmation because, again, they don't want the word sex to appear because sex is a very biological term, whereas gender tends to be more of a sociological term. So it's, again, we've talked before how they play with words. They use word salads and, and redefinitions to confuse the issue and mislead. But finally, what uh, Broyles commented, she said that uh, girls have no private spaces. They'll have no longer any private spaces in the schools, in locker rooms, on, on school trips, um, that basically women and girls are losing place to male athletes all under this idea of Title IX uh, improvements. <laughs> have you ever noticed that there are no women who want to compete in men's sports? Because obviously men have this physiological advantage of, over women. I mean, they have uh, twice the, the body mass, twice the body, bodily strength on average. I mean, there's just, it's just not a fair playing field. And that's why you don't see any female football players. <laughs> because it's a brutal sport and uh, most women do not have the physiological ability to endure that kind of uh, painful conflict and impact. But see, that's the whole thing. It's really not about sports. It's not about men or women or children. It's not about the truth. It's, it's all about blurring the narrative so that it can be replaced with a new narrative, a, a redefinition of what's real and true and actual with something that is really nothing more than a fiction. It's unreal. It's a myth. Just like the ancient Greeks and Romans had their mythology that they try to fortify their fake god system with, so also we find that they're trying to create our own new mythology that basically a man can be a woman or vice versa. And I, I know that this is, can be very discomforting to many of us. It's very discouraging and concerning to us. But, you know, I have a word of, of encouragement to those who are discouraged. Again, as I was reading the other day in Isaiah, in Isaiah 35, one of the things that the Lord told Isaiah to do was, quote, he says in Isaiah 35, 3, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance to recompense, the recompense of God will come but he will save you. In other words, he says that his judgment is going to come upon these people. You know, when this new regime came to power and I warned people about where they were going to go, I took some grief because of that. But I said, all you have to do is look at the platform of the Democratic Party. <clears throat> you can look at the role of the uh, progressives within that party and what their agenda is. And you can see where this administration is going to head. And it's 
you know, really the reality is that poor old Joe Biden is pretty much taken captive cognitively, in other words, by forces that he cannot control, but certainly have the ability to control him. And, you know, one of the things that I, I as I've watched this, and, and they've moved with a rapidity that just really astounds me. I mean, I don't think anybody can believe that in two years, they've been able to move the the, meat, the, the needle so far to the extreme left. Uh, and with such devastating impact, which ultimately is probably going to end up devastating our economy, not only our social structure. Uh, but so you can't help but feel exhausted, like what's the use? And uh, feel feeble, like we have no power against these things. And your heart becomes filled with anxiety. And God says to you and me who find ourselves in that place that we need to take courage and stop being afraid. He says, because God will come with vengeance. And I started praying at the beginning of this administration that God would expose the, the deceitful works of darkness, that the, the tent of the wicked would collapse. I mean, I started praying a lot of imprecatory psalms from the Old Testament, praying that God would bring judgment upon those who seek to bring evil upon our nation and its citizens. And I, I found it interesting because this administration has been able to not able to keep from falling over themselves. They keep on making very foolish mistakes and overextending themselves and trying to push things down people's throats and it's causing a backlash. And I, I appreciate the moral and ethical and cultural backlash that people are concerned with. But the one thing that's a little troubling to me is that I don't, I don't see a spiritual backlash. I don't see Christians becoming deeply concerned about the expression of evil and wickedness. It's like many people are more concerned about the financial impact of many of these decisions. So when you ask voters, uh, you know, what concerns them most, right at the top of the list is uh, inflation, uh, the cost of gasoline, the cost of living, the cost of food, and all these kind of things that we call them the bread and butter issues. And I get that. But I think that you have to understand that God's blessing in the areas of the bread and butter issues is predicated upon our moral uh, circumspection. The fact that if we seek the Lord and, and walk close to him, he'll bring his blessing upon a nation. He'll withhold it if we embrace wickedness. So we have this thing going on in our culture right now where people are becoming uh, really against the current administration because of their horrible economic policies. But at the same time, what they fail to recognize is that's really the outlier here. That's really a down-the-road consequence. What's really the heart of the issue is spiritually we've turned our back on God. And that's why I encourage you, don't be discouraged, exhausted, or give up, or disconnect from the culture, but start praying that God would reverse things, that there would be an outpouring, a great awakening that would come upon our nation, that the church would be revived, and that people would begin to recognize their need for a Savior and for redemption, that they would recognize, kind of like Ezra prayed and, and Nehemiah prayed, God, we are reaping the consequences of our sinfulness. Forgive us, forgive us for what our fathers have done, and deliver us from these things as we turn to look to you and follow you. So I just want to leave you with those words of encouragement. I mean, this is a little shorter than my average podcast, and you're probably saying, praise the Lord. But I felt like this is a very present uh, issues that we need to be talking about and thinking about. But most importantly, we need to really be praying about. We need to be willing to speak up and, and, and call out the falsehood and the lies and just encourage other people to feel free to speak the truth and uh, recognize that what this administration is doing is coming right out, right out of the pits of hell 
And I don't think it's just a Democratic issue. I think that many Republicans, as I mentioned before, remember, 41 Republican congressmen voted for this uh, uh, Respect of Marriage Act, which is anything but that. And I suspect that it's probably going to pass the Senate as well and become law. It's it's outrageous. It's it's unthinkable to realize that just a couple decades ago, we the, the same Congress and Senate voted to declare that marriage was between a man and a woman, and now all of that has been reversed. So we need to understand that we're watching the spiritual decline of a culture. We need to pray that God would bring a great awakening, a great revival, and there would be a great return to the faith of the Bible and the God who gave it to us. So with that, I pray that you'll pray with me. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you will uh, raise up a banner of righteousness across the land, move by your Holy Spirit, awaken your church, awaken the believers, stir their hearts. And we pray, Lord, you'd continue to expose the wickedness of this current regime and those who support it on both sides of the aisle, and that you would remove from office and power those who are the supporters of these wicked things, and you would replace them with godly men and women who have the fear of God as the thing that motivates their decisions and not just their own practical uh, advancement and promotion. God, deliver us from wicked men and women, Lord. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you and go in his grace.